Hi, and welcome to the Palliators Podcast. I'm your host, fellowship-trained hospice and palliative medicine physician, Dr. Tara Kateen. This podcast is for healthcare professionals who want to become more comfortable and more confident in caring for their chronically ill and terminally ill patients. With the help of the physicians who trained with me, we hope to provide education and to promote palliative care one podcast at a time. We're so glad to have you here. Hi, everybody. I'm so glad you're here with us today. We have a special guest. Her name is Marianne Machuga Childress. She is a doctor of chiropractic, a physician assistant. She has worked in a variety of surgery subspecialties. She's worked in family medicine, the emergency department, community care clinics for the uninsured and homeless. She's been working in geriatrics and in hospice care. She and I have been working together off and on for the past five years, and we have a blast together. I hope that y'all have a blast with us today because we want to talk about things that bug us. And hope that you might identify with some of these things and that we can figure out a way to solve these problems. And anyway, welcome, Marianne. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to today's talk. Tell me, what bugs you? Going first, (laughs) what bugs you? Oh, I'll tell you. (laughs) You know when somebody's constipated? Yes. And they need a little bowel regime? Yes. And then they take DSS? I call it DocuSate. I know you have a special pet word for it. (laughs) We know what it's called. But yes, that's what bugs me. Oh, I was so hoping you would use the the chemical compound word that you so like to say. Dioctyl. Dioctyl. I can't say it. She has been practicing. Oh, one more time. Dioctyl sodium sulfosuccinate. I bet she could say it three times fast. No, I can't. No, I can't. Yes, I don't like when people use docusate either, and I'm not going to say dioctyl (laughs) sulfosuccinate. Yes, no, I'm not going to say that. I call that docusate. That's right, docusate, DSS. It's 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 a it's basically soap. I don't like it because it's not effective. And, you know, I did a whole podcast on this. Well, a lot of the podcast on it. And it's one of the things I tell the residents is um, not to prescribe it and don't miss an opportunity to deprescribe. And then I give them that wonderful article about missed opportunities for deprescribing. That's a good idea. But some people really do swear by their docusate. I don't understand it, except to say it's the water that they're taking with it that softens their stools. That's and right. It's just a stool softener. Yeah, but I think it's the water that's working and not the docusate. No. I haven't read any studies about that, though. It's the most prescribed medication on a discharge from a hospitalization. That you've seen, or have you studied this? Yeah. Oh, no, it studies show. <laughs> true. Studies show that it is the most prescribed medication on a discharge after a hospitalization. You know I have to put the references for that. You do. (laughs) (laughs) I'll get that for you. I appreciate that. (laughs) We'll be sure to get that and put it in the show notes at thepalliators.com. Is there anything else that comes to mind for you? Oh, do you want me to take a turn? Yes, take a turn. Let me think. The first thing that comes to mind for me is when people consult me and they don't know why they're consulting me. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's because you are the best at what you do, and so they they think you're going to come up with the answer. 
Yeah, I, I get a consult and it says sepsis. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that? Yes. Okay, I guess I'm supposed to make antibiotic recommendations, recommendations or presser recommendations or vent setting recommendations. And of course, I think I know what they want, but it's always a just a one word question answer. Figure it out. You're the you're the hospice doc. You can go in there and do the life sustaining treatment yeah. conversation and give them a recommendation and give them a solution. I can do all of that. Yes, I can. But when they but when they say sepsis, I get the idea that they don't really know what they want. And so I always go and, and talk with the person who invited me to consult and ask them what they're looking for. Another consult I get is evaluate and treat. And, Again, you're a miracle and worker. And that's it. Nothing else but evaluate and treat. You have such great insight. Aren't you complimentary? I am. Thank you. <laughs> so when I get consults like that, that it doesn't seem like they really understand what my purpose is, you know, I go and, and chat with the with the team and we talk about the case. And then I can tell them what I think that we should be looking for. And so it's a it's a learning opportunity because this is usually a resident that's putting in the request. So you set them straight. And do, do they go from there on and finish their work with the patient and the family? I like how you say set them straight. <laughs> so that's not really how I think of it. Oh. I, I, think I, I think it's an opportunity for education. And it teaches them what really goes on with palliative care and hospice. It's also a good opportunity to talk about consult etiquette in general. So when I have a resident's ear, I can tell them, you know, how to get the most out of a consult, even consults not for me, but consults for any specialist. That way, it's a win for everybody. Everybody gets their needs met, the patients are cared for, the resident learns, and the consultant has provided the best consult he can for the patient. Well said. Keep those consults coming. Yes, I like working. And, you know, another thing that happens that kind of bugs me is where at the end of the day, I've got somebody that comes to me and has a quick question. And it's not a quick question. It's not a quick question. It's multifactorial. It has a really long answer. has multiple parts to it. It's a long answer. It's pretty much involved. And usually it involves somebody that's very sick. And a lot of activity comes after that really quick question. That's right. It's got to be at the end of the day or that really difficult hour. And uh, get a little knock on the door and someone will come and say, I've got a quick question for you. Yeah, I think that when you have somebody with a quick question that's really long involved in the answering, you just plug away and try to do what you can, involve the people that you need to involve. Sometimes it means calling someone back to the hospital, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, if it's a quick question, I, I would think that they would be able to handle it. But end of the day... Uh, needs tend to be pretty involved. So it's the word quick that bothers you. Uh, it, may, it might be, yes, because it's not quick. And what would you do if they knocked on your door and said, I have a really big question to ask you? I've had that too. No, <laughs> I've had that too. Is that worse? <laughs> no, it's not. You know why? Because I'll, that gives me the opportunity to say, this is not a good time. I'm leaving. <laughs> If it's involved, you need to call the next person, <laughs> unless it's a real emergency. 
You know what I like when somebody says they have a big question? What? It helps me prepare. It's like when someone's giving bad news, you always give that, that warning shot before you give the bad news. Difficult they give, news. They're giving seri- serious, serious news, serious. important That's news. Right. That, um, that It gives me a second to go, okay, I need to get ready and listen. Where if somebody says, oh, I've got a quick question, and I go, oh, this is going to be easy, and then you have to stop, rewind. That's right. Because when you hear it, and it's not quick, and it's involved, I think that's what starts to yeah, can be irritating. Yeah. You, sometimes I start thinking, oh, my goodness, I've got so much to do. Right. I can't do this right now. And there's a little internal panic. And it is important. I'm sure what, it, what they're saying is important. But um, sometimes that does involve families. And they will come um, to me and say, I know that daddy's really sick and he's had his up and down, ups and downs lately, but how soon do you think he's going to die? Oh, just put it right out there. Yeah. Because I don't have a crystal ball. Ooh. I don't. All right, y'all. Or a magic wand. Marianne just used one of the things that I say, don't say. Don't That goes on my don't say that list, the crystal ball. A lot of families find that to be flippant, I've had people complain to me about other folks using that crystal ball expression. I don't know how long he's got to live. I don't have a crystal ball. If I had a crystal ball, I would tell you. Yeah. So try not to say that. It's best to... um, It's best to use your magic wand. (laughs) That's right. Put your crown on. (laughs) Big girl pants. Get your magic wand. Come on in and sit down. Let's talk about this. Yeah. So... I think that when someone asks you that quick question about how long someone has to live, a lot went into formulating that quick question. They have a lot on their minds. What do they need to do? How, how much can they get done before daddy dies or mommy dies? Can, can we get the funeral arrangements? Right. Do I have to call all the family from out of town? What's going to happen with coronavirus? Are they going to let me see them? It's all about their preparation, how they feel, what they have to uh, do for this passing. Uh, not in a selfish way. Right. But in preparation. It's a question that you would be expected to be able to answer. The problem is you can't give a precise enough answer to make it be the answer they're looking for. And so, you know, I think... Um, We've talked about this before. You want to give an answer that's based in reality, but also a little vague. Like, I think he has hours. I think he has days. I think he has hours to days, days to weeks, weeks to months, months to years. But not giving that precision. There are a few prognosticating uh, signs that you can use if it's very close, that you can give an educated answer. But I like to bring them in first and talk to them a little bit beforehand to figure out what they're worried about, what's, what prompts them to say, quickly tell me when. Can I go out and get a pizza? Because sometimes that's happening. Right. Can say, I go get a shower? I, I just want to go home real quick. Um, and of course, at that point, it, it's important to, to know what you really think inside, how soon they're going to pass away. Because I've had that where they've left patient has passed away. Right. That happens commonly, I think. You know, I, I always say to my families when they've missed the death, 
that perhaps he was waiting for you to leave. I think that happens quite commonly. But a lot goes into that question. I think taking him into your office and having a sit-down conversation about it and exploring where that question is rooted is always a good idea. In fact, you know, I'm studying for my boards. Mm-hmm. I think so That's far funny. every every uh, practice question I've done where the answer has had explore oh. and the answer has been the correct answer. So it's never wrong to explore. That's great. Absolutely. And uh, the other question that uh, comes up quite a bit from family, from families can be, uh, how can you make it go any faster? Or what can you do to make it go faster? To make, make them die sooner? You're right. Uh, that tells me that they think that the patient's suffering. That's what I would think if someone asked me that. But I won't know unless I ask them why they want it to go faster. That's so, again, right. I would explore, explore the meaning behind that question. Your feelings or thoughts. Right. So sometimes I'll ask about the morphine. Right. What about the morphine? Uh, well, if you give a morphine, will they die faster? Not if you give it right. <laughs> exactly. So are, th- are they concerned about the morphine speeding up? things or are they concerned that he's not getting enough and they want him to go faster? They want him to go faster. Well, again, that requires an exploring question. (laughs) Or how about the the last dose of morphine? Is this going to kill them? They'll say, is this the the dose that's going to kill him? Is this the dose that's going to kill him? No. (laughs) I'm not going to be killing your family member. Is this the dose that's going to kill him? That tells tells me that they don't understand how the morphine works and what it's for. So it, it's another opportunity to, to educate the families and find out why they think it's going to kill them, what their experience is. You know, we don't like to use that word. That is not part of what this dying process is all about, not killing somebody. So it just there's a, there's a reason they're asking that question and getting to the reason of the question will help provide the best answer. And in my mind, no, it's not going to kill him, but why are you asking this question? Most, most of the time it, it involves educating them, uh, for sure, because they've heard that from somewhere else, or they've seen it on TV, or their friend said. Right. Everybody who goes on hospice dies and gets morphine. Usually the morphine comes first, and so they tie the, the death to the morphine and not the death to the disease process. Explore and re-educate. Explore and re-educate. Or educate the first time and then re-educate. <laughs> Repeat. What gets under my skin is when somebody comes into the emergency department in respiratory distress or has been moved to the intensive care unit and they're in respiratory distress and no one has had the conversation about goals of care and would you want to be on a ventilator or would you want CPR long before that moment in time? So the person's in a crisis right then and right. they're suffering. Right. And, and that's when somebody starts working on, do they want to be intubated? Do they want to have CPR? Do At you want to have a tube put down your throat? Do you want a tube in your so throat? So we can save your life? Do you want to be on life support? 
And this reminds me of something my friend Suzanne, who I interviewed in podcast five and six called Both Sides of the Stethoscope. Mm -hmm. She used to say talking to somebody about that at that point in time is like holding a drowning person under the water and asking them if they want to come up for air. It's not the right time. You just have to do it. You have to manage the acute emergency emergency really right then. Right then and there. And then have to deal with it afterward. So in the moment, you needed to manage the acute crisis and then try to work through these questions afterward. That's not the best answer. It gets complicated, certainly. It gets complicated. The best answer would be to find out what's important to people long before they're ever in a healthcare crisis. Right. And part of the other point is not to be asking them in the middle of a crisis what they want. It's not the time. It's difficult to give an answer that really has thought behind it. So it's not a quick answer. It's not a quick answer. There we go. It's a complicated answer. (laughs) Well, I don't know how to move on from that, but... Moving on. Moving on. I have, I think I have one more thing that might bother me. Is it about DNR? It is. It's about getting consults that say this patient has multiple comorbid conditions and still wants to be a full code. Please talk to them about code status. Oh, my goodness. And the underlying thought of that is that they want you to get them to change their code status. I was afraid to say it. Yeah. And again, that you know. I do have that magic wand, you know. Oh, that's your job. That's a quick thing. In all seriousness, I think that, you know, if somebody has been educated about CPR, educated about their illnesses, and they still choose to be a full code, that's their choice. They get to decide their rite of passage. Yes, they get to decide their rite of passage. That's a very lovely way to put it. I may not agree with that as a choice for myself, right? but I need to honor his choice. As long as I've educated him, made the recommendation that I think it's not appropriate, and he still wants to be a full code or she still wants to be a full code, then, then that's their choice and I'll honor it. Does it bug you that the consult is asking that? And where where that's coming from. Yeah, I talked a little bit about that in the Quality of Life podcast that I did, but it makes me think that somebody has judged this person's quality of life to be lesser than what the patient judges his quality of life to be. And that, again, is is not our place. Our place is to let them live the lives that they want to live, not the lives that we think they should live. And that reminds me of one more thing. I know I said the last thing was one more thing, but that reminds me of one more thing. Yes. When people who have had those goals of care discussions and have decided that they really don't want any more life prolonging interventions and want to be a DNR, and then something happens that another person might ordinarily go back to the hospital for. An acute emergency of some sort, like Like somebody spikes a fever or... Become a little bit altered. Or they get short of breath. And the covering doctor or provider will say, are you sure you don't want to go to the hospital and get 
such and such treatment, don't want to go get antibiotics in the hospital, you don't want to go to the emergency department and get a breathing treatment. It could cause them to second guess what they want. It could cause them to second guess and and think that maybe there was something wrong with their earlier decision. Or Are you sure That's you right. want to be a DNR? Are you sure you don't want CPR? That's unsettling. It is unsettling. And confusing. And confusing. You're right. How does somebody make a decision right then? Why would they want to change the decision? Why would they... Yeah, the whole point of having those goals of conver- goals of conversation, goals of, of care, care conversations conversation. prior to these events is so that you know what to do. And you could go to him or her and say, I know you're you're ha- you have a little fever or you have a fever, and we're gonna give you something to bring your temperature down. We're gonna make you comfortable here. and make sure that you're comfortable. Yes. Or I have a medicine that'll help you feel like you're breathing easier. We can take care of you right here. And we can take care of you right here, surrounded by the people who love you most. Yeah, I think that sounds a lot better. It does. And so what do you do with the providers and the staff at that moment? How do you rework it? Well, I've heard that you've stepped in in the middle of some of these kinds of problems in the past. What have you done? Yeah, I have. And, and uh, I've had to rework the conversation and redirect really back to the patient's goals of care, making them comfortable there, letting them know we support them. That there's no wrong choice. That's right. Either. No wrong you know, choice. The choice that he chooses is the right one for him. Yes. Absolutely. And your point about going back to the provider and figuring out how this happened is a good one. I think it's good to go back and, again, here we go, explore. Uh, No, explore first. Explore first why things went the way they they went, why the provider felt the need to to try to mix things up a little in the middle of a, a crisis. And then educate and... Re-educate. Re-educate, yes. And then repeat. repeat. Yes. So that maybe next time things will go more smoothly. And it's not to say that a patient may not change his mind about what he wants, but the middle of a crisis is not the time. time. And, you know, I think that this might bring us to the end of things that bug bug us. us. And it's time for our reflection. It comes from... Noel Coward, and it goes like this. I like long walks, especially when they are taken by people who annoy me. Marianne, I want to thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you for having me. I've had a great time. I've had a lot of fun. Well, that's it for today. We enjoyed creating this podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Please visit our website, thepalliators.com, and send us messages if you have suggestions. You'll find the reflections and references from our podcast in the show notes there, too. If you enjoy our podcast, please give us a good rating and review on your podcast app. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, bye for now.